0: Welcome back to News Points On The Air, a production of the North American Division of Seventh Day of Venice. I'm your host, Milan Medley. I know it's been a little while since we've put out an episode, and I am so grateful for your patience and for coming back for this episode. We really appreciate it over here at the Division. There's been a lot happening, and that's why it's taken us a little while, but we're back and with being back we are going to start to wind down season 1 but i'm going to talk about that a little bit toward the end of the episode so make sure you stick around and listen all the way to the end all right so today's guest is norma nashed she is the founder and president of restore a child and is a nonprofit organization that is geared toward helping children living in poverty and war stricken areas of the world, giving them food, giving them education. Norma is so passionate about helping children in need and that all stems from her childhood, growing up or being born in Palestine and growing up in Jordan. Norma, thank you so much for your time and for coming on the podcast. Yes, thank you so much for
1: inviting me to talk, to share. (laughs)
0: Yes, yes. So let's get started. Um, Can you tell us a bit about your background, where you were born and where you were raised?
1: You know, I was born in a town called Ramallah in what they call now Palestine, but it's not a country yet. (laughs) And uh, Ramallah at the moment is the capital of the National Palestinian Organization. Hmm. So, but they do have other offices around, like one in Jericho, but Ramallah is becoming an important part for the Palestinian authorities, actually. Wow. Yes, I was born there because my parents are Palestinians, my mom and my dad, and this is where they Mm live. And, uh, you know, we they were not very poor at that time. I But the homes before, some of them were, for me, it was beautiful, I considered them. But it is like in a small cave, in a cave, all rocks inside. Wow. Where I was born was exactly what you call the upper room. So I identified with Jesus because it was, uh, Two sections. One, the the low, you know, the lower part. You could not even stand up straight, so low, you know, in the you know, hewn in the rock. And then there are maybe six steps that take you up to the upper room, where people live. And downstairs is the kitchen, goats, chicken, <laughs> that, that, everything.
0: Wow! Yeah. And this is all. Where the kitchen is, that's where you can barely stand up straight.
1: Yes. Wow. You can't, uh, you have to be always bending down.
0: Oh my goodness. What a visual. Wow. (laughs) And how how long um, did you live there?
1: I think just maybe a year because my dad was working in Jordan. And my mom came, you know, to have me delivered in my country. Mm, Okay. We had a good job in Jordan. So, yeah, we were not refugees, but we lived with the refugees. Mm. Because, you know, for, you know, (laughs) how
0: my father spent the money, we were poor. So, we lived
1: with the refugees.
0: So, can you describe some of your earliest memories from your time living in Jordan?
1: In Jordan, yeah. Well, in Palestine, I really loved being there because uh, at that time, you know, on Sunday, all the church starts, the bells start ringing. Uh, the population was 90% Christian. Now it's
0: 10%. This is in Jordan?
1: No, I'm talking about, I said about where oh, I was. Oh, in
0: Palestine. Where okay. I was born. In yeah, yeah. hmm
1: So anyway, so in Jordan, we had, you know, we became later nine, you know, seven kids and two parents. So nine people living in one small room. Wow. Sleeping on the cement floor, Mm. no electricity, no kitchen, hardly anything. You know, it was tough life. We had to endure and, at age eight, I had to walk to school like three miles and back three miles because we had no money to pay for the bus. Then we were, you know, as we were growing more kids, my mom could not pay for us to go to the school. So at age 10, I had to clean the school with my sister every day after school. Everybody leaves and we stayed. We, we, you know, swept the floors and all dusty and, you know, it's not like it. And then we had to mop. And in winter, we had freezing water. I remember my finger would freeze. I couldn't do wow. the mop.
0: And were you still walking three miles? Yeah, to... and then walking. And then you would stay to clean and then walk back those three <laughs> miles. Wow. At 10 yeah. years old.
1: 10 years old. So when they talk now about labor child labor and refugee camps mm-hmm. that's nothing to me my you know i was living with the refugees and i had to work as you know as a child labor you know child labor
0: and that's so you could go to school there to help yes.
1: yeah. yeah wow
0: wow that's amazing you know for to be so young and have to do all of that so yeah were you aware of your Palestinian background? Did you, what was your understanding of what, cause you know, what's, well, what's happening in the region now may be different in some way from the time period you're talking about, but when you were a child, what was your understanding of what was going on in your homeland?
1: So my understanding, because I'm a Christian, and we believe, we are taught to love each other, love Mm -hmm. God, and love your neighbor. So I love the Muslims, and I love the Jews. We never Mm -hmm. had a problem with the Jews. My grandparents taught me to love the Jews, because if you want to live in peace, you have
0: to be Mm. peaceful.
1: Your grandparents
0: taught you that?
1: Well, yeah, you know, because I lived with them for one year in Jericho.
0: okay. Wow.
1: so much about love and they used to, you know, give their Jewish families, they give them food, they eat. in the time of trouble when there was actually before I was born. This was in the 1936, 1939, and they hid like 10 people in their attic when they were persecuted by the Arabs, they were going to be killed wow. My parents. Because they were their neighbors and they were very good both sides were peaceful and so just because somebody hates them you cannot just hate them they were not doing anything for me for us and then i learned that from them and then when my mom my mom he, you know used to love the jews the jewish neighbors and she mm-hmm. thought to love the jews and love now we are living not with the Jews; we are living with the living with the Muslims, the Arabs, and so you know we just had you know beautiful time with everybody.
0: Mm, wow! And you were instilled at a very early age to love, you know, to anybody because
1: you know the Bible says we are created the human human mm-hmm. being in the image of God, so we are all. Important, and mm-hmm. we have infinite value in the in the you know in, the, in front of God. So we yeah. cannot uh, think that we are better than others. We're all the same.
0: Wow. So did you travel back to Palestine? While how long were did you live in Jordan, and how often, if any time, did you travel back to Palestine?
1: Yes, I did travel twice to Palestine because my sister is there, my cousins are there, I have family there. And and in Jordan too, I went there. This is just before I started my ministry. Mm -hmm. And the the reason I started ministry is because I had cancer. And so I knew then that, you know, I wanted to give my life to God by serving the poor and the orphan because hmm. I was poor and and I became orphan. My mother became blind widow at age 38.
0: Oh my Seven goodness. Seven
1: orphans and penniless. This is how it is. But she, had, she was a woman of faith, a great woman, worked hard, taught us how to love and how to work hard.
0: And so, Wow, Norma, I am blown away with your story. And we're only at the beginning. (laughs) We're only at the very beginning. Um, Wow. Okay. Wow. Um, So when did you, because I want to stay there a little bit. When did you feel this desire to go and, and start your ministry? And we'll We'll unpack what it is specifically later on, but when did you sense that God was kind of tapping you to do something bigger than yourself?
1: You know, I always uh, had love for children. Hmm. Even I was a child, I was 12 years old and I started to worry about the kids in my neighborhood who are you know, like younger, between the age and five and 12 my age. So I wanted to share w- what experience I had, spiritual experiences with them. And so I would bring them to my one room home mm-hmm. and teach them and pray with them and sing and send them home and then bring wow. 12 more because our room is so small <laughs> by myself. And you were 12 i was 12 years old <laughs> oh my goodness <laughs> and to bring more children you know i felt sorry for the children yeah because they are innocent and they they want to learn and they don't know anything so my job i felt that i needed to impact them impact their lives and were they orphans too no, or no, no, no they were just They're your poor in the in my environment in your,
0: in your neighborhood
1: when there is conflict, or civil war, or you know how it is, children always
0: suffer. Yeah, so let's even talk about that some more, um, of how um, the crisis and even other crises that are similar, perhaps around the world, and this can help us like broaden and even talk about your work, how how, uh, government unrest and violence, how that affects children.
1: Oh my, you know, uh, we work in 10 countries now, but I used to work in 20 countries before. Mm. And we have helped, it's my heart, for orphans and refugees. Refugees in Burma, on the border of Thailand. Refugees in South Sudan, 20 Mm. years civil war, where the fathers were killed. Not only they killed them, they then cut them into pieces. Oh, it's so gruesome, and uh, uh, then I personally went to there, I went to uh, Goma refugee camp in East Congo, the end of the world, <laughs> because I, I feel sorry for the refugees and for the children, and they were in a, you know, makeshift school, plastics, they had no food to eat, they were hungry, how can they study if they're hungry? So the, the school I visited, we started a nutrition program, you know, a cooked meal every day for lunch so they can study. And honestly, at the end, 1,000 students in that school. Hmm. At the end of the year, I got a letter from the Ministry of Education in Congo saying that these kids, most of them passed the government exam because they ate well. And when they ate well, they slept well and studied
0: well. Wow. The basic necessities. Yeah. And then this is just
1: two, three countries. Another one was Ukraine. I went there to visit the refugees, you know, so refugees, refugees and orphans. And because of the Crimean War with Russia, Ukraine suffered a lot on the East Coast because it's bordering with Russia. And I went to the East, which is one hour hour away from Russia. And there we built a school and other schools for the Ukrainian children. And I visited the refugee camp. It's just uh, children, you know, are innocent without, sometimes without parents, but they have no fault of their own. Hmm. But when we, this, this is just some of the countries where they have refugees. But then in my country of Jordan, the first thing I did is help, the Palestinian refugees in Amman, Jordan, by sending them to school, you hmm. feed them and so on. Just temporary, but education is their future. So I believe in education. So far, we have built twenty-three schools.
0: Wow! Wow! <laughs> okay, so let's put a pin in that because we need to talk about Restore Child because we're you're, you're talking about your work through Restore Child, but for what I'm hearing is that when there's um, when there's civil war and when there's unrest, mm-hmm. oftentimes it's education and basic necessities like food and sleep that the children are often lacking. And mm-hmm. because they don't have those necessities, they're unable to go to school. Mm-hmm. And so that's a void or that's a bridge that you are passionate about. Uh, mending like giving them food so they can sleep well that was powerful you know they're they're passing exams because they're you're feeding them and because they're feeding them you're they're sleeping because they're sleeping they can perform academically that's that's incredible
1: surprised when
0: I got the (laughs) letter yeah okay so you remember at 12 years old basically doing your own uh school, (laughs) like a mini school after school program. So when, when did you then, um, because you have this organization called Restore a Child, when did that officially come about? And was there anything in between, you know, when you were growing up, did you try to do other things or when did Restore, when did you get the inspiration to start Restore a Child?
1: You know, always I, you know, try to find opportunities where I can, you know, impact children's lives by teaching them, and do whatever I can for them. In many countries where I lived, because I lived in many countries in the Middle East, but then when I came to the U.S. and then I got the cancer, Mm -hmm. I knew I needed to do to give my life to these children, not just to help them. Not enough. I needed to dedicate my life which means I left my job. I was working at the general conference and uh, I you know, I had no husband to take care of me, no medical insurance. I wow. had cancer, but I knew, I knew. And I had no insurance. I didn't care. I said, God will take care of me. Hmm. Because in the Bible, we are taught, says, why do you worry about what you're going to eat and what you are going to wear? I will take care of you, God said. And I believe that. Yeah, And till now, 23 years, and I didn't like anything. Mm. So this is when I started Restore a Child.
0: Wow. Okay. So what was your first um, endeavor, your first, um, the first uh, children or group of kids yes. that you wanted to help? Once you started Restore a Child, what was the first thing that you did?
1: You know, <laughs> it, it came before the name Restore a Child. Okay. When I had cancer, I went back home because I thought I might not live, you know, mm. you never know. I wanted to say goodbye to my family and friends and see my country. So I went there wow. and I went to the school that I used to clean when I was 10 years old.
0: Wow.
1: And I just wanted to visit and there... I As soon as I came in, I found two children crying and leaving the school. So I I said, "Okay, stop here. I didn't want them to be young. They were like seven and eight or something like that. And I asked the assistant principal there in the school, why are are you sending these kids home? She said, because they don't have money to pay. What? I said, you punish children. Because Mm. they are poor. Mm. What do you want from them? $500 for each. I said, no problem. (laughs) Right away, I paid it. I have to. The children need to be in school and stay in school. And so in my mind, I said, Mm. I'm sure there are many other kids like that. I didn't see them because I didn't stay too long. But on the plane, I knew what I needed to do. And this was it happened to be these two are Palestinian refugee children. But when the Iraq war started, mm. I had to. you know, these refugees came from Iraq, parents with PhDs, master's degree, educated, they have no jobs, no homes, children can't go to school, they have nothing. How mm. can I not help the children? At least send them to school. And then the same after the Syrian, war, we help the Syrian refugees. Wherever there's a poor child, we help really regardless of ethnicity, color, uh, whatever background they have or religious affiliation. It, we never ask, it doesn't matter. When a child needs help and we can, we can help them, we help.
0: Wow, so it seems like for the past, you said 23 years? Yes. For the past 23 years, you seem to have this antenna of wherever there is substantial need for children um, when their education has been disrupted, when their lives, first of all, when their lives have been disrupted. And then as a result, um, their security and their education is disrupted. Your antennas go up and you say, how can I help?
1: Yes. Yes. Wow. You know, I really want to help hundreds of thousands. I mm. just need money. Yeah.
0: Need money. <laughs> so how do you choose? Because those needs are constant. It, it seems, you know, the, there's so much happening in the world and there's so many, as you mentioned, you know, you want to help hundreds of thousands. There's so many children in need. How do you pick where to go? How do you pick you know, at a time, because the the need is overwhelming. But -hmm. you're only, you know, we're all limited in all that we can do. But how do you decide where to go?
1: Yes, it's always, you know, you need, or, you know, when I want to work in somewhere, I need to find trusted people I can work with, because this is money. And poverty teaches people to, you know, take some of that money. (laughs) Plus anybody, they are poor. They need money to feed themselves and so on. So I go first there. And honestly, I do work with the church because they are the local churches. And okay, then,
0: local Adventist churches or local Christian yes. churches?
1: No, Adventist churches. Because I'm an Adventist. Mm-hmm. And so I go there and then get to know some people and find the needs. And uh, then if I feel comfortable doing, you know, working with somebody, then we, we can pursue it. But also I chose my board of directors, we chose them, mm. mostly from the headquarters where they travel all the time.
0: Uh, for the headquarters, from the GC, from the General yes. Conference, yeah. Yes. Yes, and they travel a lot.
1: <laughs> Most of them are from there. So yeah. they travel a lot, and so when they go, they save me time. Mm. And money you know travel is costly right and then it's safe we can send funds to them with them and uh, they they bring me back reports and photos that I need but it doesn't mean that I don't travel I do travel like three four times a year except last year right right (laughs) the pandemic but I I'm going now in uh, in August I'm going to Africa I have to I cannot stay away from children. These are my children. They are mine. You know, I love them so much.
0: So So, you, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead.
1: No, I just want to say that, yeah. First of all, find the trusted people you can work with in those countries.
0: And when you go there, um, because I know and just my understanding of your work, sometimes you, you're building schools. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So how many schools have you or have you been able to build?
1: Yeah. So far, we have built 23 schools.
0: Wow. In which countries? You don't have to name all of them, but... Um...
1: Uh, you know, we do help like uh, 2,500 children to go to Adventist schools to get good education. Mm-hmm. We pay for the food, we pay for the uh, tuition and so on. But the children, the, the schools that we built, are in uh, Ukraine, we built four schools. In South Sudan, we built one in uh, you know, general vocational training, because after the war, everything was destroyed. So they mm. have nothing to do, they are on the streets. They need to work. So we were teaching them agriculture, carpentry, whatever, to give them tools mm-hmm. to survive. Mm-hmm. And then we built a school in the refugee camp for South Sudan, but especially South Sudan because you know they had fled the you know the conflict, and they had no even fathers; they were killed. So some mm-hmm. of them with widows, some of them alone, kids alone, traveling all the way from South Sudan to the northern part of uh, Uganda. So there's an, a refugee camp there just for South Sudanese. And there, you know, I heard, and I had pictures and people reported to me how they, they have no books. They sit in the dirt. They have mm. no pen to write. And this is education, The there's no walls for the school, <laughs> for the school. Wow. The, the roofs are plastic, half of, half of them are torn it's not it's, you know, a situation that I can live with. So I, we re- remodeled the school, we built uh, you know, we around it and everything, but then we built another stable cement, regular school for them. So that's what we did for South Sudan Refugee Camp. And then uh, we built uh, two, one school in Haiti. Now we have 200 children in Haiti. Wow. wow. Yeah, and then uh, Uh, let me see what yeah just last two weeks in Sierra Leone Mm. Chad Mm -hmm. and two three schools in one for the Maasai girls Mm -hmm. and then another one for Dar es Salaam it's just
0: (laughs) wow wow so let me ask you this because obviously your heart is in this and you were born to do this but what role does your faith play especially when it seems like there's such need you know thinking about the kids who were sitting in the dirt with the plastic you know like I I can imagine when you're there it's heartbreaking like you want to connect with the kids and you want to do so much more So, what do you lean on when it seems, when the disparity is so great? What do you lean on? What role does your faith play? How do you keep going?
1: My trust in God, Hmm. and you know, like my upbringing, my the poverty, I passed through, and the hard work, and this helped me, gave me the strength to be resilient. I cannot stop. I cannot be discouraged. Although sometimes I felt like I won't stop <laughs> at the beginning. It's, it's a lot of work. And then you find people trying to attack you. Obstacles. For 20 years, I did not take any salary or stipend. I said, how can I take money? Although the board voted for me. I said, the money comes for kids, not for hmm. me. Wow. I have the heart for these kids. And so that's why we can do so much as a small organization because 100% of donations go to children. I have two two friends who cover the limited overhead. So everything, which I I don't know how many uh, ministries or organizations can really prove that, that they don't spend the, you know, I travel. I never stayed in a hotel. I don't take a taxi. I paid for my own food. Wow. I don't uh, report anything. I, you know, the money is not for me. The money is for the children. And that's this is our strength. People trust us. So mm-hmm. now we're growing <laughs> every year. Uh,
0: so how many people, you mentioned your two friends, but how many people work for Restore a Child with you?
1: I have one. Okay. <laughs> that's Dr. Turner. Yeah. Director of uh, Development. Mm -hmm. But you know, in the countries, I do, I cannot be doing the work by myself for sure. Right. I have partners, directors of the projects, and most of them are, you know, missionaries and so on. It's amazing. Both in where I'm going in August, they are, the two of them are from Germany. They have given their life for this. Mm. Wow. God, it's God's work, it's not me. There is no way, I don't have even college education. I, you know, when, I, when my father died, one American missionary took me to their home. And, you know, although my mom was my role model and she was the really the main one who influenced my life, but this American family who took me to their home for eight years, I went, yeah, I went to middle school, high school, and two years of college. And they wanted me to to finish, but my mom became blind. She told me, you have to come back and help me with your siblings. And I was, was very happy to help my mom. So I didn't finish. No training, no nothing. What do I have? Hmm. But God provided everything. You know, when God calls you for something and you are willing and you are available with all your heart to do his will he will provide the resources the expertise and the people and everything you need and he did it for me
0: he can yeah. do it for you <laughs> <laughs> amen i received that so what would you what would you say to somebody who has a similar passion as you but is unable to go to these different places around the world for for whatever reason, how can someone, what would you tell someone who wants to help? How could somebody help these children? Yes, you
1: know, uh, many people have in their heart good intentions. Yeah. They want to help. They, but, you know, they have to study first. Mm. Then they have to get married. Then children. <laughs> then children. Then grandchildren. You know how it is. Time goes and uh, they cannot... Uh, you know, commit, and they cannot do what they really have in their heart to do. So I say you cannot, you know, wait till, until it's too late. Hmm. And you cannot go. There are people like me who go, mm-hmm. and others. And you need to not make sure your money is goes to children. So you can, you cannot go to help a child, but you can help somebody to go. You know, somebody wrote my book.
0: Mm-hmm called uh, have you read it no i haven't but you you told me about your book and even a film that's being made about you
1: yes and a film that will be coming maybe end of august september
0: Mm, of this year
1: yeah of this year the film is called shadow child and the book is my name norma Mm
0: -hmm.
1: beyond their tears Mm. because i see beyond their tears Maybe they are dirty. They are crying. They are helpless, but I see what they could become if I give them a chance. Yeah, these are the you know these are the doctors, the engineers, the scientists, the teachers of the future. Really, we're gone, all of us. You, me. One day, these yeah. children are the future. If you invest in them, you invest mm-hmm. in your own future,
0: mm-hmm.
1: your and your family, and the
0: world wow that's that's so true what um do you have any any final thoughts um thank you again for for oh actually um where can somebody find your book and also see the film about you yes. in in the fall
1: yes it's on on, on our website okay restore a child dot mm-hmm. and of course they can write to me my name my email is norma at restore a child dot org it's
0: easy very easy <laughs> so any uh thank you again for sharing your story and your passion are there any final thoughts you would like to add um maybe not just about your work but um your thoughts about uh, where you're from your homeland um you know any any parting words? Yes,
1: you know um, uh, that you know all humans have rights, human rights. Mm-hmm. Children have rights too, and so their basic rights, basic human rights, is for food, water, health education, and of course, later, gender equality and so on. But the main things are these four. And this is what we can't deny it, that our Savior mentioned it, that in the judgment, what he will be asking in the judgment day, which, you know, not only we as Christians believe in, the Jews do, the Muslims do, we will be asked, I was hungry. I was thirsty, I was sick, I was naked, and then he said, go and teach. So this is the five areas Restore a Child provides for children.
0: That's wonderful. Thank you. Thank you again, Norma. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of News Points on the Air, a production of the North American Division of Seventh-day Adventist. Just so you're aware, we have one, maybe two more episodes left for this season, season one. Then season two will be back later this year. All right. News Points on the Air is edited, produced, and hosted by me, Milan Medley. Executive producers are Dan Weber, Julio Munoz, and Kimberly Moran. Graphics are by Jonathan LaPoint. We are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. So listen and subscribe, leave a five star rating, nothing less, and write a glowing review. And speaking of subscribe, you guys hear me say this with every episode you must subscribe to News Points. It's our weekly digital newsletter, it's our news service, really that contains ministry announcements, special announcements, I should say ministry resources, special announcements, and news stories. It's your one-stop shop for keeping up with our division and our news. We have a lot going on in our division, folks. And I'm not gonna get into it here because if you were following news points, if it was in your inbox, you would already know. So make sure you subscribe by going to nadavenist.org and clicking on news. If you need to reach me, send an email to ontheair at That's ontheair at That's it for this week. We'll see you next time.